What you see is what you get. Hello, my name is Pastor Chris Miller, and I am your host on the VC Speaking Podcast, where we are equipping Christians for life. Hello and welcome back again to the PC Speaking Podcast. Again, thank you for taking the time to be part of this and listen in. If you find this helpful, useful, please share it with someone else. Um, that's really why I do this is in the hopes to equip Christians for life. We are just going to dive right into some scripture today. Today's kind of an important day, important week important weekend that's coming up, but we're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and Mark 11, 1 through 11 as well. Um, so if you would like to follow along in your Bible, yeah, feel free to do that on your phone, whatever, or just listen, whatever you're most comfortable with. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort and love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any compassion and mercy, then fulfill my joy and be like-minded, having the same love, being in unity with one mind. Let nothing be done out of strife or conceit, but in humility, let each other esteem the other better than himself. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Let this mind be in you all, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in the form of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every name should bow, of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now Mark chapter 11, verses one through 11 say this. When they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village opposite you, as soon as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, "What are you? why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send you here. They went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street and they untied it. Some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They answered just as Jesus had commanded and they let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments on it, and he sat upon it. Many spread their garments on the street, and others cut down branches off the trees and scattered them on the street. Those who went before, those who followed, crying out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that is coming in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. When he had looked around at everything, as the hour was now late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Amen. The event that we just read about is called the triumphal entry. Most people refer to that way anyway. Uh, for Christians, this is kind of the beginning 
of the Easter holiday. Um, Easter is a major holiday. Um, some pastors will turn this um, month, the month before Easter, they'll lead up to him preaching about it. Um, I, I tend to just do Palm Sunday, the week of uh, Easter weekend. Something we do here in Australia where I'm at is uh, Easter Friday is just as big as Easter Sunday. It's a major thing. I know in the U.S. where uh, I originally lived, uh, we didn't do a whole lot for Easter Friday, but here it's a big deal. And it's kind of a big holiday week, regardless of where you are, especially if you're a Christian. And today when we say holiday or holidays um, in this part of the world, people think of time off work to do the things they like. Uh, Something, you know, in America they might call a vacation. In contemporary culture, though, that kind of holiday uh, crosses the boundaries of most traditions and belief systems. Um, Everyone enjoys having some time away from work uh, to do the things they like. And it's healthy for us to take some time away from our regular work um, to refresh and restore. And what I know, one of my very most favorite things to do personally is to take time away with my wife. Um, well, actually, it's not one of my, it probably is my favorite thing to do. And we take a few days away, just the two of us, and our 30th anniversary is coming up in June. And we are already making plans for what we might like to do when the time gets here. And over the last 30 years, we have, uh, most years, there's once or twice a year, we take two or three days and we go away, just the two of us. And, you know, to invest in our marriage. And it's not inexpensive to do that, but the investment has been well worth it. Holidays are not inexpensive. Even if you are trying to get by on a budget on holiday, you still have to invest in a holiday if you want to get the benefit out of it. Um, I know one time my family, we stayed home for a holiday, had kind of a staycation, whatever you want to call it. And uh, it, it just wasn't the same. I don't know if you've ever done that, stayed home for uh, when you had some time off work instead of going away and doing something. And it's never quite the same. And you kind of have to invest in that time off to reap the rewards from it. And the word holiday actually comes from an old English word that means holy day. And the word holy means something that is consecrated or set apart for religious purposes something sacred. And the week before Easter, Easter Friday through Easter Sunday, these are sacred days for Christians. They're consecrated. We set them apart. Um, They're sacred to us. Um, And it's a time that we refresh our minds in the things of the gospel. Not to say that we shouldn't do that all of the time, but this is a particular time when we do that. This is a holiday. Um, and I encourage you to meditate, meditate on that uh, during this week, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you know, up to the coming week through Easter weekend, whether it's a holiday or a holy day, it requires an investment to reap the benefit. For a believer, Easter is a celebration of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us and the hope that we gain from that, the certainty of redemption from sin, 
and eternity with Jesus. For Christians, it's more than just a long weekend. It's an affirmation of what we celebrate. It's an affirmation of what we believe. Many things have changed over the past 2,000 years, but one thing that has not changed is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has always remained the same. But this week, this holiday, this holy day, is viewed differently in the eyes of different people. There are even different perspectives among people who attend church on Easter. Several words might be used to describe different people's views of the events of Easter. I've heard several. uh, Escapism, sentimentalism, maybe tradition, nostalgia, um, obligation. Sometimes people feel obligated to go to church on Easter Sunday. Um, And some of those who do might describe it as an exercise in endurance. They feel like they have to endure these things. Um, Skepticism is another one that often comes up around this time of year. And when we look at this, the story of a man riding a young donkey or colt into Jerusalem and all of the palm branches and people throwing garments on the ground might seem a little ridiculous. But let's make an investment in learning about and understanding these things. Let's look at two keys to shape our perspective of Easter and what it's about. The two keys are the identity of Jesus and the integrity of John. The identity of Jesus and the integrity of John. All of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, include what we're talking about today. And you can find and read all of those as part of your Easter investment if you'd like to do that. That might be a good exercise to kick things off. Matthew says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. He also writes that when Jesus was born, the whole city was troubled. Everyone was worried about what Herod might do because he felt threatened by the one who was born king of the Jews. The birth of Jesus had an impact on the city of Jerusalem. When Jesus rides in on this donkey, it has an impact on the city of Jerusalem. And now, not long before his crucifixion, Jesus rides into the city on this young spindly-legged donkey, and again, the city is stirred. Learn from that. Jesus always causes a reaction, saying the name of Jesus sparks a reaction in people. I I interact on social media a lot, and I definitely notice that the more I talk about Jesus, the more reaction I get from people, both positive and negative. Now, imagine yourself in this crowd of people as Jesus enters Jerusalem. Imagine you don't know who this person is riding this donkey. You have no idea what's going on. This is, you've never heard of this before. You don't know what's happening. You see everyone shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, uh, adoration and praise for this man on the donkey. People laying their garments in front of him, palm branches down before a man riding on a young donkey or a colt. Now, the question that would come to my mind would be, who is this man? What's going on here? 
why are all these people shouting praise of this person riding this donkey? Who is this Jesus? This is a very necessary question that multitudes have asked throughout history. Who is this Jesus? Or simply, who is Jesus? Whether you are agnostic, spiritual, religious, or otherwise, if you give Christianity any time at all, the question arises, who is Jesus? Because he is at the center of Christianity. Considering that Christians claim that your answer to the question, who is Jesus, has eternal consequences, it's worth investing some time to answer that question, who is Jesus? Philippians chapter two that we just read through, I'm going to read a few more verses, verses five through eight. And it says, let this mind be in you all, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the form of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. The Bible says, that Jesus is a man who is more than a man, more than a mere man. When we read about the gospels and we read in the gospels about Jesus entering Jerusalem, if we invest the time, we can learn a lot about who Jesus is from this event and reading about it. This is more than just Jesus riding into town on a donkey. We find keys in the Old and New Testament that show us why. Take the colt, a young donkey, for instance. The colt makes a significant statement. Jesus sent two of his disciples to go get this young donkey. Now, Jesus is a man who walked everywhere all the time. He didn't ride anything anywhere ever. But on this day, he rides a colt into the city, a young donkey, a young spindly leg donkey. In light of that, Consider this for a moment, just to kind of help make a point. We're going to tie something else into this. Have you ever been part of an online forum uh, where you talk about uh, talk to people online about a topic? I've, I've done that with fishing, backpacking, woodworking, um, several different things over the years. They've kind of gone out of fashion, I suppose, with social media groups, but they still exist and there's still a lot of good information on these forums. The way they work is someone opens a thread with a topic or a question and the good forums with good moderators stay on topic throughout the comment thread. Um, Often they want to wander off topic, but a good moderator will keep things headed in the same direction. And some threads are very long, some are very short. That concept is similar to the cross-references we can trace through the Bible. There are almost 64,000 cross-references in the Bible. That is a lot of cross-references. There's a site you can go to that has an interactive tool you can use to look at all of these cross-references. Maybe you've seen it, a picture. It shows all the cross-references in the Bible and it looks kind of like, sort of like a rainbow. Um, Maybe you could uh, Google Open Bible. Open Bible is the website and uh, maybe cross-reference and it'll take you there. But I'll, I'll try to remember to put a link in the description so you can find it. From the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis through to the 
end of the book of Revelation, there are threads, cross-references that run through the entire Bible. And these threads and cross-references make up a big picture, the big picture of scripture. Looking at all these cross-references, all 64,000 of them, in light of the fact that 40 different authors wrote the Bible over the course of several thousand years, when you think about it, that degree of continuity seems impossible. And at the very least, someone would have to say, there's something different about this book. There's something special here. And the Bible is the most read, best-selling book of all time. There's nothing else like it. Nothing even comes close to the amount of copies of the Bible that have been sold. Now, back to the triumphal entry. Here's a thread. Here's a cross-reference. In the book of Genesis, chapter 49, verse 11, Jacob is blessing his sons, and he talks to his son Judah uh, about a coming king, and he says he tethers his foal to the vine and his colt to the choices vine. The book of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, and cry aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king is coming. He is righteous and able to deliver. He is humble and riding a donkey, a colt, the offspring of a donkey. As Jesus rides into Jerusalem, the people shout, Hosanna, because they see him as the fulfillment of these Old Testament passages. At least some of them would. They're thinking Jesus is the long-awaited king. And the simple donkey is part of a thread that began thousands of years, thousands of years before this in the very first book of the Bible. When Jesus rides his donkey into Jerusalem, he makes, very, he makes a very intentional and a very significant statement about who he is. He sends his disciples to get the donkey for him. And in Jerusalem, of course, you wouldn't just walk up and take someone's donkey any more than you would just walk up and take someone's car unless you're a king. It's been true throughout history that a king is able to require what he needs from his people. Do you remember what Jesus says when he sends the two disciples to go get the donkey? He says, if someone asks why you're taking this donkey, tell them the Lord has need of it. When Jesus does this, he acts as a king and he identifies himself as a king. Matthew says in chapter 21, verse four and five, he says, all this was done to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and sitting on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus is intentionally identifying himself as a king. He's identifying himself as a king. Now, other times people tried to, make Jesus king. They tried to identify him as king. They tried to make him king by force, but he didn't allow that. And the reason for that is, is because they wanted to make him an earthly hero. They wanted to make him an earthly king. They wanted to make him a political savior, but that isn't why Jesus king. He came to be crowned with a crown of thorns. He will be shamed and beaten and crucified. Into that, 
Jesus doesn't say no. The disciples collect the donkey that will carry the king to his crown of thorns. And they also throw garments on the donkey that Jesus is going to ride. Now, why do they do that? It wasn't because he didn't have a saddle. It wasn't so that he could just have a nice cushioned ride. In First and Second Kings, there is an enthronement ceremony in relation to the kings of Israel. When Jehu is crowned king of Israel, they bring their garments and they lay them down before the one who is crowned king. The disciples take off their garments and they lay them on the donkey. In Luke, the Bible says they set Jesus on the donkey. And what that is, is that's a picture of enthronement. That's a picture of them recognizing Jesus as king. And the people do the same. They cast their garments before Jesus. They cast palm branches before Jesus. Palm branches were considered a symbol of victory and triumph. People at this moment see Jesus as leading them to victory over current circumstances, over an oppressive, you know, oppressive Roman government who's taxing them, doing all these things they don't like, and that's what they think Jesus is going to fix. Now, time will sort that out, but Jesus, that's not why he came. He came to accomplish a far greater victory than that. He will accomplish victory over death itself. And some traditions say palms were even a symbol of eternal life. And um, I don't know about where you live, but palms around here are like weeds. And if you've ever tried to kill one in your yard or whatever, it's, I don't think it's unreasonable to kind of make that connection between eternal life and a palm. But that aside, what kind of king rides a donkey and wears a crown of thorns? Who is Jesus? That's the question. Is he the king of God's eternal kingdom? Is he God's son who shed his blood for our sins to purchase our redemption? He's either all of those things or he is a liar and a crazy person. It's really black and white. He's all those things or he's crazy. He's a liar. So who is Jesus? That is a serious question. Is he a mere man or is he more than that? He rides a donkey into the city. The people shout Hosanna. They're shouting adoration. They're shouting praise for Jesus. <clears throat> in the same book, in the account of uh, John, in chapter 12, verse 16, John says that the disciples did not understand these things at first. They didn't know what was happening. They are there as eyewitnesses when Jesus is riding this donkey and everyone's throwing down garments, palm branches, shouting Hosanna. They're there seeing this happen, but they don't understand what's happening. Several times throughout the gospels, even the closest followers of Jesus didn't really grasp who Jesus is. They don't see things the same way you and I are talking about them today. They they just didn't see him that way. And John has the integrity to say they didn't understand these things at first. And I don't even think anyone understands who Jesus is at first. You have to learn, you have to see, you have to experience who he is. And John tells us they didn't know. And that 
takes integrity on his part. If you were going to fabricate a story about Jesus, you wouldn't say you didn't understand who he was or what he was doing. If you were going to fabricate a lie, you would try to sound as confident as possible. When Jesus came to the disciples walking on the water, they were afraid. Why were they afraid? Because they didn't understand. They didn't understand who he was. We're always afraid of things we don't understand. And I think that's part of the reason we often see the reaction we do when we talk about Jesus, when we mention the name of Jesus. People don't really understand who he is and there's some fear there and rightly so. In Mark 9, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to be delivered into the hands of men who are going to kill him. And after this happens, he would rise again on the third day. And to that, Mark says, we didn't understand what he was telling us. And not only does he say we didn't understand, he also says we were afraid to ask. When Jesus says he's going away to prepare a place for his followers, so where he is, they can be there also. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. His followers answered, we don't know where you're going and we don't know how to get there. They didn't know what he was talking about. There are multiple examples of the disciples not understanding what Jesus was telling them. For the disciples to understand, for every follower of Jesus since then to understand something needed to happen. And what needed to happen is exactly what did happen. Jesus rose and conquered the grave. See, the resurrection is where we find the answer to the question, who is Jesus? Then like the disciples, once you start seeing things through that lens, you begin to understand the rest of the things about Jesus. To answer that question, who is Jesus? Someone say, Jesus was a good man. Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was a good teacher. Jesus was an influential historical figure. Jesus was very moral. I've heard all kinds of them. I'm sure you have too. But without believing Jesus rose from the dead and conquered the grave, you don't know who Jesus is. In Luke 24, the Bible tells us that after the resurrection, their eyes were opened and they understood. You see, after the resurrection, that's when they understood who Jesus is. That's when everything began to become clear to them. There are many different perspectives on who Jesus is. Some hostile, some friendly. Many of those perspectives either deny the resurrection or they don't deal with it. But if you don't deal with resurrection, you don't know who Jesus is. If you don't dig into the resurrection, look at it, understand it, you don't know who Jesus is. The integrity of John shows us that apart from the resurrection, even the disciples didn't understand who Jesus is. They followed him. They knew he was someone special. And kind of in our mind, we kind of expect them to know. But the reality is, is they didn't really understand until after Jesus rose from the grave. The resurrection is so essential to understanding who Jesus is that without it, it's difficult to 
place value on any of the rest of Christianity. John 12, 16 says, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but then it also goes on to stay. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had that they had done these things to him, talking about when they had got the donkey with the colt for him, when they had put the garments on the donkey. Then they remembered, oh, okay, now we understand what that's about. And remember, while it was happening, they didn't see the triumphal entry the same way that you and I see it now. After the resurrection, they understood the donkey. They understood the garment. They understood the palm branches. They understood the shouts of Hosanna. Without the resurrection, we can't correctly answer the question, who is Jesus? Many know about Jesus, but knowing is not believing. To believe is to understand that Jesus is the resurrected son of God, the savior of mankind. That's who Jesus is. To believe is to understand his name is above every name. At his name, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. To believe is to understand that Jesus took our sin upon himself, shedding his blood on the cross to become our redeemer and open the way to forgiveness for sin and eternal life. To believe is to accept that gift. And then comes the question, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus went to the cross, that he died for your sin, he shed his blood for you so that you might be reconciled to God? We call it propitiation. He paid the price for our sin on the cross so that through him, we might be saved. We might be reconciled to God. Do you believe that? Have you ever taken a moment, taken the time to consider that. Maybe you've never heard it put that way before. Have you ever turned away from yourself, turned away from sin, and turned to Jesus and accepted him as your savior? And you can do that right now. You can pray and tell God, I know I'm sinful. I'm sorry for that. I know I need Jesus. I accept that gift of eternal life. And I would encourage you, if you've never done that, to do that. And then once you do that, seek out a good church, get baptized, dig in and serve. Well, that's all I've got for you today. I certainly appreciate you taking the time to tune in. And I hope that you have an incredible week. And I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let me know what you think in the comments. Please consider subscribing and sharing this with someone who might find it helpful. Thank you.